0: Well, uh, let's stand and take our Bibles, please, this evening. The book of Malachi, or is, is pronounced Malachi, okay? Malachi, that's how it's pronounced in Chinese, right? Malachi, and, and, you know? The Italians can pronounce it Malachi. So, if you're Italian, you say Malachi, you don't say Malachi, but we say Malachi, okay? So, all right. I said Malachi, not Mochi. Some of you getting hungry here, okay? Malachi, chapter 3, great book. It's the last of the Old Testament prophets. Now we're going to do a study. You need to get your notes out tonight. There are going to be some things you have not heard before, or learned. You're going to hear today. You heard some things this morning on it, and we're I, I'm on a kind of a two Sunday series for about four services on. Uh, uh, faithful stewardship, and uh, it's a very important thing, and we can't put that on the side there. We had a new visiting lady that came today, and uh, I met her this morning at 9 o'clock. I said, Well, let me tell you, I said, I'm preaching on giving today, and so I don't want you getting shell shocked and scared you want to leave here today, but uh, this is important for us as part of spiritual growth. I'm just going to say some things that I pray will be encouragement to you tonight. Malachi 3, go down to verse 6. I want to start with verse 6 because we need to, we need to center everything about God. For I am the Lord. I change not. Now, we can preach on that. Amen? Yes. Now, everything changes. He doesn't change. His word doesn't change. His attributes don't change. He said, I am the Lord. I change not. Now, the context of that, as we'll see a little bit later in the message, is that um, his, his, the, the reverence and fear we're to give to him, that should not change either. He says, for I am the Lord. I change not. He says, now, times change. And by the way, churches that have to have these rele- what they call relevant services and things like that, you know the problem is? They think God's changed. God, God's never changed. Okay? When I got saved, the goal of the church was to bring the sinner up to God. Now, 45 years later, we're trying to, we're trying to bring God down to the level of sinner. That doesn't happen. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. So we, we need to understand. We have to think like God. You see, you know, because a lot of a lot of these these uh, contemporary church people come and they kind of size us up, and in five minutes or less, they've already determined this is either going to be their church or not going to be their church. You know, because we don't have the kind of, you know, music for them and <laughs> all that stuff. There, okay, okay. Don't get excited. Some of you are getting your worldly part coming out of you. Okay, I'm honestly. A watered-down Bible version. He said, I'm the Lord, I change not. Master's wonderful. just wonder what a great devotion thought for tomorrow morning. I'm the Lord, I change not. His righteousness doesn't change. His gospel doesn't change. The resurrection hasn't changed. Amen. The power to save souls hasn't changed. Hey? Praise God, he doesn't change. The power of the Holy Spirit doesn't change. I'm the Lord, I change not. And he says, verse 6, Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Now that's a good thought. Because if you understand the context, he says, I changed that. He said, I could have sent fire down. I just wrote a devotion about the gifts from heaven, stones from heaven. There's some great things God sends us from heaven. He sent sent fire from heaven. That was a blessing. He sent bread from heaven. He sent his son from heaven. He sent the spirit from heaven. Acts chapter 2, there was a sound from heaven. Hailstones from heaven. And he says, therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. He says, you need to be thankful. I, I, I still have mercy. Right. Even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But Jesus said, wherein shall we return? There was all these rhetorical questions they gave to God. Notice verse 8. Will a man rob God? Will you steal from God? Will you rip God off? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. Whoa. But ye say here, these rhetorical questions are so in spiritual pride. Wherein have we robbed thee? Tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse. If you've robbed me. Even this whole nation. Bring ye, and I want you to circle the word all. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. I said this morning, you know, you've studied this. There are actually three tithes that the Jews gave. We only take up one. We need to take up another offering tonight, amen? <laughs> but the word all is all-encompassing. God was telling them, you need to, you need to make up for back payments. And he didn't charge interest. Wow. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now here saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven. Man, God opens those windows. Look out. Well, and I'll pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed. It is a good testimony about a tithing church and tithing Christian. For you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. I want to preach you part two of the joy of giving or maybe I could paraphrase verse eight where God is saying, give me back my money. Give me back my money. Father, I pray tonight that you'd speak to our hearts. There needs to be instruction about what you say about giving and there needs to be encouragement. But Lord, there's also just a reminder tonight that uh, what happened to Israel and Judah specifically could happen to us And I pray, Father, that you'll help us to embrace and to take on our spiritual responsibility as financial stewards. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let me give you a review of what I talked about this morning because some of you were teaching somewhere else or... Uh, or ushering duty or whatever there, a nursery duty. I want to give you some things. We're in a, a two-part series, two, two Sunday series on f- uh, faithful stewardship. Now, first of all, I define stewardship as this. Stewardship refers to responsibility a person has with the assets and resources entrusted to him. Okay? It's responsibility a person has with the assets and resources that God has entrusted to you to manage and to grow. Now, you need to read in, in between all this uh, Matthew chapter 25 on the parable of the talents because those stewards that were entrusted with assets or talents, they were encouraged to grow those assets, okay? God wants a good rate of return on whatever he's entrusted with him, beginning with our lives. God wants a good rate of return with it on that. And we spent some time this morning in 1 Corinthians 16. Now, a steward is a manager of another person's affairs, assets, and resources. How many of us accept tonight the fact we don't own anything, God owns everything. Amen? God owns everything. We're just managers, okay? We're managers and we're stewards of that. Now, sometimes we get and talk about why I own this and that. We really don't own it. It's God's. And we think about the fact if God owns it, there's a higher level of responsibility. Now, the word also speaks of a person entrusted with the education and well-being of children. In Galatians chapter 4, the word governors and tutors is the same word for, for, for a steward. And it was had the idea where back in those days they had their version of homeschooling. Where a, in a Hebrew home they had a teacher come in. And the teacher would spend time uh, educating. And, they, and their whole goal was as to educate the child was they focused on the well-being of the child. Now we can learn something from the Hebrews because they knew from very, when the child was a toddler to about age 12, they had to pour a lot of things into that child. The training of the whole well-being of the child the train of the child in the way they should go, and we talked about some things about nurtured and admonition of the Lord last week, but their goal was in those first six or seven years is really to develop the whole child, that the child was disciplined in their thinking and their decision-making, so age of 12, a young man came, he, he, was, he came into his being as a young man at that point of time, and wasn't thinking like a typical teenager thinks today, he was thinking like a man, he was thinking about his responsibilities, chores, and things of that nature there. Um, the word steward of stewardship is found 18 times in the Bible, and 12 times in the alone in the New Testament. Now notice some things in terms of the application. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1 stewards are to be faithful. Okay? We're to be faithful with what God has given to us. You need to read through that and understand this faithfulness we're to have. Uh, stewards were expected as I said earlier to give their, 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 uh, their owner uh, a good rate of return. Sometimes an owner if he felt he could trust the steward with something he would go away for a period of time. And Jesus used that example in Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 25 that parable. A, an example and story that they could understand there and uh, probably they could relate to. He would lead them with something. He would go away and come back and expect a rate of return. Pastors are, commi- are commanded to be blameless as the stewards of God. Titus one seven. All believers are stewards of the manifold grace of God when it comes to ministering with spiritual gifts. So the manifold grace of God is realizing God has entrusted you and me with spiritual gifts that we're to be exercised and using. I want to encourage you tonight. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Are you using your spiritual gift? Healthy churches, spiritually healthy churches, they are focused on exercising their spiritual gift. More than focusing on your talent in terms of what you are doing. and those are good things. You need to focus on your, on your gift. Thankful for choir, the sang, and the orchestra that, and using their talents. They're extremely talented at what they do. But more important than what they're doing with their talent is what are they doing with their spiritual gift? You need to be focusing on your spiritual gift for the edifying and building up of the believer here. Now, when we look look at this. I spent some time in 1 Corinthians 16 and I took a lot of time this morning and the first two verses explain the priority in stewardship. And that priority we find in 1 Corinthians 16 talks about God defines it in 1 Corinthians 16 that why we meet on Sundays and he establishes the meeting upon the first day of the week. Let's get in our hearts and minds. Sunday is the Lord's day. It's not my day. It's not the 49ers day. It's not the A's day. It's not the Warriors day. It's not Baptist Buffet day. It's God's day. It's the Lord's day. And we need to sell that mind. I'm surprised there are not a lot more people Back here tonight after I preach on that, I spent a lot of time on that. You know, and if you're not in obedience to that, you're, you're, you're disobedient to God there because the first day of the week is the Lord's day. It belongs to God. There are those who cannot get out of the fact that they have to work on Sundays. There are healthcare workers, law enforcement, those who are first responders, those in certain occupations where they have to work on Sundays. They can't get away from that. But if you have the choice to get away from it, you need to ask for that. I thank God for a lot of our members where they're in occupations where maybe they have to work on Sunday. And I praise God for a lot of, a lot of of our members who have asked, I need to get Sunday off. Can I get Sunday off? And they're told this. You'll, you'll have a demotion. Maybe you can't be in management. Maybe you'll take a cut and pay. I, and I'm amazed and thankful for many of our members who say, I'd rather do that so I could be in God's house on Sunday. What a great testimony that is. But I want to encourage you today the first day of the week is the Lord's day. And it's kind of interesting. In John chapter 20, the very first mention that Jesus was there Met with the disciples behind closed doors. And everything we have is a precedent for Sunday worship there. First of all, it was a Sunday night. There we have Sunday night worship. Amen? Sunday night preaching uh, services. Jesus was in the midst with them. Hey, Jesus is here with us here tonight as well. Amen? Jesus is in our midst. And Jesus had peace to them. And then he preached to them. There was preaching there. Jesus preached to them. And then he commissioned them. He said, yes, the Father sent me, so send I you. Hey, you know, when we come to church and Baptist churches, and Jesus was a Baptist preacher. Amen? Jesus was a Baptist preacher. How do you know he's a Baptist preacher? Because John the Baptist baptized him. Amen? He's a Baptist preacher there, okay? He had Baptist doctrine. By the way, we have a Baptist Bible. By the way, soul winning is Baptist. By the way, separation is Baptist. By the way, preaching hot sermons is Baptist. Having church is Baptist. You say, well, I'm not sure I want to be Baptist. If you got baptized here, you're Baptist. You're Baptist. Now, you need to be Baptist tonight. You need to be Baptist all the time. Don't be ashamed that you're Baptist, okay? Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. He was a Baptist. Yes, sir. Now watch this here. He got up there and he preached. He commissioned them. Holy Spirit's parking. him. That's church. You say, well, that's just one instant. No, you go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, Jesus, uh, Paul's in Troas. He's on his way to Miletus to meet the elders of, of Ephesus. They're Miletus on the coastline there. And so he stops up at Troas, and we know that he started that church because Acts chapter 16, he was at Troas when God gave him the vision to go to Macedonia. And somewhere along the way, and I just appreciate the heart of the apostle Paul, <coughs> somewhere along the way, the Bible doesn't refer to it, he went some people to Christ while he was there. Praise God for that. Got a nucleus of a church started there. Paul stops up there at Troas. There's some brethren there. They said, why don't you stay and have some bread with us? They said, amen. You know, we're going to have a meal together. They broke some bread, and they said, would you preach to us? And I like what it says there. Paul was long preaching, Amen. Baptist service, long preaching. If you like going to church, there's only a 15-minute sermonette, you're in the wrong church. Amen? That's not church. I I get a little tired of people coming from churches where the pastor only prepares one message a week. And and that's considered hard work. He prepares one message a week. And they wonder, what does he do the rest of the week? Well, I can tell you, based on their sight, he's not winning souls. And people get this idea, and you need to help help me with this. People get the idea. They say, well, pastor preaches the same message Sunday night. How many understand this is not the same message I preached this morning? Yeah. Yeah. you got to labor at the Word and have to have something to give to the congregation. Now, sometimes we may repeat a doctrine, but repeating a doctrine doesn't necessarily mean repeating the same message. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you come to church, you realize that, you know, we're serious about church. Yeah. There's, a, there's a priority of the meeting, but there's a priority of the membership he talks about there. He says, every one of you, he's talking about the members of the church, of Corinth. hey, the will of God is everyone who gets saved in a Baptist church should get baptized in that church and realize that when they get baptized, they become a member of that church and you find your involvement in that local New Testament church. And our baseline involvement, as far as what we're doing, goes with the priority of the money. He talks about the collection, the gathering, same word. He talks about the word liberality. The word liberality there in First 1 Corinthians 16.3 is the same word we use for grace. It's the word charis. He talks about the grace of giving. He describes giving as being the liberality of your giving. Hey, grace giving means you're, you're giving from the abundance of your heart. You're, you're, you're not holding back. You're not inhibited in any way in your giving. So we look at giving here. Notice in Malachi, we look at giving. There's the, the principle of giving. Our starting point is that God owns everything. How many believe that tonight? Amen? Amen? A little boy was given some money by his mother to put in the offering plate on Sunday mornings. But he was always reluctant to put the money there. He didn't want to let go of the money. So his mother had to resort to some creative strategy with that. So one particular Sunday, she gave him some money. She said, son, I want you to put that inside the offering plate. And he just was reluctant. she said, quickly, put in the offering plate. It's tainted. Well, he let go of the money as the offering plate went by. He thought, he thought it was, there was something wrong with the money. And then after the plate went by, he whispered to his mother's ear. He said, Mom, wh- why was the money tainted? Is there something dirty? Was there something defiling? She said, no, no, no. I didn't mean it by that, that it was tainted in that sense. It's like that. She said, I just want you to know it's taint yours and it taint mine. It's just all God's. Amen? <laughs> <laughs> now, we need, to, we need to let go of our money and realize it's God's money. Yeah, you brought nothing to this world, you take nothing out. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Deuteronomy eight eighteen. Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is He that giveth thee power to get wealth, that He may establish this covenant which He sware unto thy fathers, as it is this day. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. This evening we're studying here in the book of Malachi. Number two, the joy of giving. We want to understand the essence of why it's important for us to tithe and give. Number one tonight, would you take this down? Number one, I want you to see the inspiration. God writes to us and inspires us to give. We are most like God when we're giving. One of the greatest verses in all scripture tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave. But God commended his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What does that say? He gave. We are most like God when we give. Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Corey Tenboom, who wrote the book The Hiding Place, which describes the time when she was just in captivity there in Europe during World War II, she said the measure of life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. Luke 6:38, the best commentary and giving is from our Lord Jesus Christ. Give and it shall be given to you. He didn't say, it'll be given to you, and then you give. He says, give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall man give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. Paul, as he was concluding, his his sharing his heart with the elders at Ephesus, said in Acts 20, verse 35, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. And And many believe he's quoting from Matthew 6, or, uh, Luke six thirty eight. He says how he said that he's more blessed to give than to receive. Hey, let's get our minds around that. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Let's say that together. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That's Bible. That's happiness. That's the joy of the Lord. That's the joy of giving. Maxie Jarman was the founder of Genesco Shoe Company. Back in the day, Genesco Shoe Company was one of the famous manufacturers of shoes and Maxie Jarman made, made a bundle of money and did very well, became financially independent as the owner and founder of Genesco Shoe Company. But as many of you know, sometimes when the when economies go into recession and things, people tend to cut back and one of the areas they cut back on, they're just not as probably as, uh, uh, you know, just active in buying new shoes and things like that and Maxie Jarman found himself in a situation where, where these cutbacks affected their sales. Now Maxie Jarman had been a great giver to the work of the Lord for many years he got saved and he realized that God had blessed him in business and he became a great giver and all that he did there and he gave much and as he was going through this difficult time during a time of recession cut back a friend of his came to him and they realized that he had to cut his salary he had to cut back a number of things he had to let some people go things of that nature and one of his friends came to him and said Maxie I want to ask you this question all right do you regret all the money you gave away over the years no, when you're in a low point when things are not going so well, there's a lot of things the devil puts in your mind. You've got to be very careful what he puts in your mind. Now, if you feel sorry for yourself, you think nobody cares about you, nobody's praying for you, nobody loves you. If you're not very careful, the devil starts with your ear that nobody wants you. That is not true. And if you're not very careful, if you have to go through cutbacks and dark times and difficult situations, and, and you're just kind of wondering how it's all going to come together, the devil's gonna tell you, see, you should have never given to that church anyway. Maxie Jarman was asked by one of his best friends, do you regret all the money that you gave away over all the years? And he said, oh, no. I only lost what I kept for myself. How is it more blessed to give than to receive? Write this down. How is it more blessed to give than it is to receive? Well, first of all, there's the work of grace when we're giving. God's grace is where you're either, you want to grow in grace? Be a giver. You want to experience God's grace in an abundant way? Be a giver. Okay, He said great grace was upon them in Acts chapter 4. There's the work of grace. Hey, there's growth when we're giving. Did you know that? There's growth when we're giving. There's personal growth. There's people growth. There's property growth. There's potential growth. We're giving to the vision. I mean, there's, there's growth. Hey, did you know there's gladness when we're giving? It is more blessed to give than to receive. God loves a cheerful giver. That's, that's gladness. Did you know there's gain when we're giving? Give and it shall be given to you. There's gain. That's the blessing of God. He said, prove me now herewith if I will not pour out a blessing to you. Hey, there's growth and there's, there's grace and there's gladness, there's gain. But notice this is the most important thing. There's God when we're giving. The center of our giving is God. We're on him. God is glorified. It's more blessed to give than to receive. The Dead Sea in the Middle East is 1,300 feet below sea level. There are plates in the earth that are moving shifting all the time underneath that. They say that the Dead Sea sinks an average of 13 inches a year. That's a lot of sinking. The Dead Sea was first formed when there was an overflowing of the Mediterranean Sea and it overflowed into it and it captured all the water. And the Dead Sea is a, is a body of water, it's the saltiest body of water on all of planet Earth. The salt that the Dead Sea is a body of water that it takes in water from other resources, but it has no outlets by which water goes out. It's always receiving but never giving out. Listen, the only way water gets out of the, the Dead Sea is through evaporation process, and as it evaporates because of the sea level, those crystals of salt come back into it. That hence it's, it's the most saltiest body of water in all the earth. Hey, a lot of Christians are like Dead Sea, like the Dead Sea. They're always receiving but never giving. Are you a giver or are you a taker? Are you a tither or are you a tightwad? Are you a steward or are you stingy? Are you sacrificial or are you selfish? Oh, man, we see the inspiration. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. But notice number two tonight. I want you to see the indictment. We're looking post-captivity Israel went into captivity, was in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. A remnant went back. Another remnant went back. In the midst of that, the temple was rebuilt. Haggai talks about that. The walls were rebuilt. Malachi is the last of the Old Testament prophets. Prophets. After Malachi, there's a 400 year absence as far as the Word of God's concerned between that and when the New Testament is introduced to us. There's a lot of fantastic Jewish history that goes on in that 400 year period of time where God, God's providence is at work on the lives of the Jews in spite of all of that. And as Malachi's writing, he talks about two messengers. In fact, Malachi's name means my messenger, who's God's messenger. God's always had a messenger for every generation. Amen. Amen. And he talks about in chapter 3 about two messengers. John the Baptist who would prepare the way for our Lord Jesus Christ. But the other messenger is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You get into chapter 3, there's just a lot of just, just phenomenal doctrine that's developing in those opening verses there. He talked about Jesus. He's talking about the second coming of Christ there. And he introduces Jesus Christ as the son of righteousness who has healing in his wings. Malachi was a contemporary of Nehemiah. He's God's messenger to the Jews post-captivity. He was a messenger to them as the temple was established and some things fell apart. They needed a word from God. That's why I'm thankful for the Word of God. It gives us the Word we need exactly when we need it. And He asks a stinging question. Very stinging. It gets to the heart of a lot of matters. Will a man rob God? Can we even imagine our hearts and minds stealing from God? Taking what belongs? To God from him? Will a man rob God? I mean, he's writing this on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We don't know anything about his beginning. We know anything about this man's past. I mean, his beginning and his ending. We just know at this particular time, he writes as God's messenger, and God leads him among many things he says in this book that are very good. He says in chapter 3, verse 8, Will a man rob God? Will you steal from God? Will you take from the Lord? And they come back and they ask the question, they said in verse 8, they said, "What ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? What are you talking about? In what way have we robbed God? How dare you accuse me? By question, did I rob God? And he says in tithes and in offerings. Notice, if you would, the weariness in the indictment. The wariness in the indictment. In chapter 1, we go to verse 6, and we see some things that are very startling. In chapter 1, verse 6, the first thing we see is the despising of God's authority. Look at verse 6, please. A son honoreth his father. Mid Park, there tonight. If you're not an honorable child, you better get right with God tonight. A son honoreth his father. Be honorable. That's a great Father's Day thought. But every day's a Father's Day, every day's a Mother's Day. And he said, A servant honoreth his master. You have to look at the context of servant here. Servants never rebutted their masters. Servants never got in the master's face. Servants never threw a fit and got angry said, I quit, I don't want to do this anyway. Servants were never argumentative a son honoreth his father a servant honoreth his master but notice what God says here if then I'd be a father and by the way he is yes, amen? amen thank God he's our heavenly father amen. Jesus said, our father which art in heaven but if i be a father where's my honor good question where's my honor He's not the man upstairs. He's God. And this 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 is the whole problem of the contemporary movement is trying to bring God down to your level. I said this tonight. We're to come up to God's level, not bring God down to our level. If I then be a father, where's my honor? And if I be a master, where's my fear? saith the Lord of hosts unto you. And notice this, he gets specific, O priests that despise my name. brother and sister in Christ, we need to take time, and we didn't even do it tonight as well as I could have. We better think about all the attributes of God and all the names that self-proclaim who he is and honor his name. From the rising of the sun to the going down the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Neither is there salvation any other, for there's none other name given among men under heaven, whereby we must be saved. None other name. God's name, his authority is despised. But notice in verse 7 to 8, the second thing we see is there's contempt for the sacrifices of God. They said, where have we despised the name? Now, you ask the question, I'm going to tell you, he's saying here. You offer polluted bread upon mine altar. They had to be very careful with the meal offering. You read that over in Leviticus. They had to be very careful to make the meal offering to the exact specifications, nothing less, nothing more than what God told them there. Because the meal offering is a picture of Jesus Christ, the bread of life. It is so perfect in his picture of his deity. Everything about it is the holiness and the wonderfulness of the deity of Jesus Christ in the meal offering. He said, "You offer polluted bread upon my altar, and how did that happen? Let's read on. And they said, again, rhetorical remark, uh, response, "Wherein have we polluted thee? I mean, can you imagine that? What? You accuse me of doing this? Wherein have we polluted thee?" And he said, "In that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible." And if you offer the blind for, uh, and if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? You're saying, "Here, you've gone to the place where giving has you've grown weary of giving. You've had contempt, disdain, a bad taste in your mouth for giving. You're not thinking about. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay aside, as God has prospered him." Your idea is why do we need to give anyway? Why are we always in a giving campaign? Why are we why is this big emphasis on tithing? He says, so here's what they did. All right, I'll participate, but I'm going to give my blind, and I'm going to give my lame, and I'm going to give my sick. They didn't give their best to God. They gave their worst to God. They didn't give their whole to God. They gave their broken to God. They didn't give their health to God. They gave their disease to God. And God was watching. This wasn't happening over a year. This happened over many, many years where they, the Bible says that the table of the Lord became contemptible to them. They disdained giving. Hey, man, i, I just tell you honestly. I see it in church on Sunday mornings I'm sitting here at the platform and I'm praying and I'll just tell you I pray for God that all, I pray to God that all of our members would give according to the will of God wow. that's taking the oversight thereof and people had gone there is one extreme they've gone weeks on end and they had months on end years on end and there' no giving and then the other extreme, we've got those there who are saying, well, wherein have we polluted thee? And wherein have we despised thee? And where have we done this? What, what have we done? And he says, well, you, you know, you, you're giving your lame and your blind. And you know what he says? That's evil. You know what God's saying there? If you're not giving your best to God, you're not giving your extras to God. It's sin. That's what he's saying. I mean, is that what he's saying? Say yes. Amen. I mean, come on. Then he makes a statement, offer now to thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? You know what he's saying there? You wouldn't give the government something like that. You wouldn't mess with the government when it comes to tax time. You wouldn't give the king. You stood before an earthly king. You wouldn't give him your lame and your blind and your sick and whatever. You wouldn't do that. He says, would you do that to an earthly person? Will he be pleased with thee except thy, thy person, saith the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth? And now I pray you, beseech God that he be gracious unto us. This has been by your means. Will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? He's just saying here, look what you did. You've had a contempt for the things of God, You've gotten tired of giving. It's sideways because we haven't gone online giving yet. Hey, whether we have online giving, you still need to give to God. Amen. I don't like writing checks. I'll write it for you. Give it to me. Then notice verse 13, God gives further description how they were giving. And ye said also, behold, what a weariness is it? And ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. You brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hands, saith the Lord? Hey, notice verse 13, that's pretty strong. He said, behold, what a weariness is. They were saying, I'm tired of giving. Look what I could do with this money. I'm tired of giving. It wears me out. I'm tired of Brother Danny getting up and talking about giving. I'm tired of a preacher having offerings. What a weariness this is. And you've snuffed at it. What does snuffing mean? Well, snuffing is, uh, if you, is breathing out of their nostrils as a sign of contempt. Kind of like, hmm. You ever have anybody do that to you? You stuffed at it. Now you have to understand the culture of that time. They did do that. They went by and did something like this. Why should I give my best? Hey, I remind you, tonight in Genesis chapter 18, when God came down and visited Abraham, he brought two angels with him. Listen, Abraham got off, he got off the sick in the middle of the day, and he rushed inside, and he brought some water, out. he said, let me bring some water out to relieve you. And then he went inside, and he told his wife, he said, ma'am, he says, I want you to need four doughs of bread, I want you to bring some bread out, go knead it and prepare it quickly. And then he went out to the, he went out to his flock, and he got the best of his flock, the fattest one he could, and normally you only did that when you had special visitors. He said, man, I got more than special visitors, I've got God." God here came to me, and he came. and The Bible says he brought of his best. He gave he gave of that flock, and on top of that, he went and got some butter and some other things. Hey, he not only gave his best; he gave his extras to God. Good, Lord. Lord. They acted surprised when they said, "Wherein have we despised thy name?" They said, "What's the problem here, God?" Just the weariness. Or you stay save long enough. You stay around the Christian life. There's a joy about giving to Jesus. Hey, listen, I've been here in this church 20 years. And I'm going to tell you, I've watched God do some great things through giving. Man, I, 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 I think of the very first time we opened the church and we, we took up offerings, had money in the bank and we were able to get we were able to pay our rent. We were never behind in our rent. I think about that first, the first few vehicles we bought that we just got excited and we had, we, we, men were younger in those days and they said, well, I'll drive that van and they didn't have all the commands they have today and they filled it up and we, it was just a blessing to see a new van on the road with the name Heritage Baptist Church on it running down the road and, and hearing from people later on, hey I came to church because I saw that vehicle on the road hey, we went along the way and God provided a way for us to buy this property when we didn't have any money, we didn't have the means and we only had 40 core givers to make this happen and you just wonder how all that happened and later on, God enabled us to raise up money to, to build this building and raise the money to build the other building and I'm just gonna tell you tonight, I just watch what God does and every year when we give a financial report, every single year for 20 years when the financial reports has been given, there are always good financial reports that are given to this church. Always a good report. You don't understand. I've talked to preachers who need counsel along the way when their finances are not doing so good and their members are not giving and their members might, some of them, a few of them are like, hmm, what is this? And there it's a weariness. They give their leftovers instead of giving their best to God. And they'll call me and I say, brother, fall, I, need to, I need to talk with you. What are we doing in this situation? And they haven't talked their men. They haven't talked to their deacons. They haven't talked their staff. They say, what are we going to do? I've already started cutting back here and cutting back there and cutting back with this and cutting back with that. And I said, you know what, preacher, what you need to do is go have a meeting with your church and tell them what the problem is and start giving. Here we have a church that God, here we have a body of believers, an entire nation That's being indicted by God for their weariness, their attitude of giving. Hey, one of the sure signs you're not close to God, one of the sure signs that things are not where it needs to be is when you lose that desire, that wantingness to give to the Lord. Now let me tell you something about biblical Christianity tonight. And I want you to help me in the church to, to filter this down all the way down from the nursery up to the nursing home. That as far as Christianity is concerned, biblical Christianity, it's a joy to give to the Lord. It's a privilege to give to God. This stuff, well, they don't understand, they don't learn, you'd be surprised how much children know. By the way, it was a little boy who came to the to that area outside of Beseda who had five little barley loaves and two little fishes. He had more faith than those disciples. The disciples said, send them away so we could save some money. The little boy said, Jesus can have this. I don't know what he's going to do with them, but Jesus can have it. He had more faith than the rest of them. I'm going to tell you tonight, there are some children. And that perhaps have more faith than some of us adults have about what God is able to do with this church. Let me tell you tonight, giving is important because giving tells people there's a future in this church. Amen. It's not easy, but there's gotta, if we're gonna have a future, there needs to be giving. If God's gonna pour out the He's gonna open the windows of heaven and pour us out a blessing, there's gotta be giving. And we're doing a disservice if we're not encouraging people to give, we're not leading them to give, we're not having special offering. and those people come along and say, oh man, all you guys talk about is giving, all you talk about that. Number one, I question if they're even saved, if they keep talking about that all the time. <laughs> Ethnic groups that come along that always have this concern, the problem is they think they own the money. And listen, not until God locks them on their back and takes their paycheck from them or gives them a demotion or has some problem like that comes up or some disease them, do they realize and find out that God has his way of getting his money back and then with interest. We see the weariness, but notice in chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, we see the withholding. Before we look at the withholding, I want to do a quick review of the tithe with you. Would you let me do that? Number one, the tithe was the means by which the servants of the Lord were taken care of. That was God. Listen, this is God's financial plan for his work. This is how God's servants were taken care of. The tithe is owned by the Lord. The tithe is holy to the Lord. We need to get that in our heart. The tithe is holy to the Lord. He owns the tithe. We don't own the tithe. Everything you and I have come through our hands, he owns the first 10%. Not, Not the government. God owns the first 10%. The tithe is off the gross, not off the net. We'll see that in a moment. By the way, I said this today. Back, back, back when they when they began tithing in the temple, they had a storehouse. We're going to see that in a minute here. They had a storeroom. They had a storehouse in the temple, and they, what they did was they brought of their first fruits, the first fruits, their first pickings, the first harvest of their of their wheat and their oil and uh, on their grape gatherings, all of those things. And so they would bring of their harvest. They would take those things in there, and uh, sometimes they would bring money and other things. Like that, but most of it was material things that they harvested because it was an agrarian society. that would bring that in. But every now and then, listen. Every every now and then somebody would decide, I want to redeem my, 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 my harvest or something else for cash. Did you know he specifies in Leviticus 27, if you redeem it for cash, you're supposed to add 20% to that? So in other words, if I took my harvest and I sold it, let's say I sold it for $1,000, I'm supposed to add 20% to that. That was God's way making sure he kept the people honest. I mean, there's extensive teachings about the time. There were three different tithes that they were taking up. But, but the first and foremost thing of the time was that was God's mean for taking care of his servants. He said, they didn't listen, the Levites did not get a city. The Lord was their inheritance. Right. Yeah, that was God's way saying, Trust me, I'll take care of you. The other tithes were taken to help the poor of the land and things like that. The Bible teaches that the tithe is to be set aside weekly as God has prospered us. The tithe is God's financial plan for the financial underwriting, and ongoing care of his servants in the work of God. But notice in chapter 3, verse 8, now Malachi gets right in their face. And he says, okay, I've kind of working my way through here. And he deals with a lot of issues here. And he asks the question, will a man rob God? And I want you to understand tonight, as he he brings that up, he had to get them in mindset of something that was going on in their nation at that time. Go to Nehemiah chapter 13. It may be in your notes, but I want you to turn to Nehemiah 13 with me tonight. This may be the exact incident that he's drawing from to help them understand what was going on because they they were stealing from God. Nehemiah chapter 13, please. People were withholding their tithe from God. Let's see what happened here. Nehemiah 13. And I want you to go to verse 5 with me. Notice Nehemiah 13, verse 5. Now, Nehemiah had been away from, from, the, from, from, the, from the, the Jerusalem for a period of time, and word got back to him. I want you to see what happens here. And he said in verse, verse 4, I have to go to verse 4. And before this, Eliaship, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of our God, of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. And he prepared for him. That is, Elisha had prepared for Tobiah. He prepared for him a great chamber where a fortime, that means beforehand, where a fortime, he laid the meat offerings and the frankincense and the vessels and the tithes of the corn and the new wine and the oil which was commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priests. They built this new temple. They had a storehouse. We sometimes call that storehouse tithing. Now, I'm going to tell you something tonight. If you're studying on this subject of tithing, you would be very careful of all the stuff that's out there by commentators, because most of the stuff by commentators is written by Protestants who don't hold to a local church concept. They're a universal church. And most of them will tell you the only ones who advocate storehouse tithing, that the tithe belongs to the local church, are Baptists. Well, praise God, we believe what the Bible says. And they'll tell you something like this. They'll say, well, the tithe, we don't agree with that. And, and so the tithe can go wherever you want. That is not what the Bible teaches. You study your Bible very carefully. It doesn't say the tithe goes wherever you want. First of all, many of these commentators today are advocating giving to parachurch ministries. Did you know when you read your Bible, there's nothing in the Bible about parachurch ministries? Come on, go ahead. Para means come alongside the church. Well, I have a better idea. I don't need to come alongside the church. I'm in the church. And if I'm in the church, I need to be part of the church. Amen? Come on. Come on. So they're saying, well, you can give all your money to Campus Crusade for Christ and Fellowship International and all these kind of things. Are you different? And a lot of people come to church that idea. Let me tell you tonight, if that was the idea you were taught, you weren't taught a biblical idea. The biblical idea was that you were to bring it to the storehouse. And so you notice right here, they brought, this, they brought all these things to the storehouse, they put in that room, and that's where they kept, and that's how they kept they could, uh, good care of all the, 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 uh, the people that were full-time workers of the Lord. Look again at verse 5 here. He talks about the Levites and the singers and the porters and so forth, the offerings of the priests. I mean, there was a large number of people that were serving God. Hey, by the way, when you look at the temple, temple service, God was interested in having more people serve, not less people serve. God had the concept of a big, of a big, of a big temple and big service for God. And so there was a lot of people that'd be taken care of there. Elisha knew this. But what Eliashep does, we'll see in a minute, Eliashib said, well, you know what, Tobiah is my friend, we're related by, related by family, he says, I need to find a place for him, so what he did was he took all this stuff out, and he suspended taking care of God's servants and doing all the things they needed, he stopped the tithing that the people gave, and basically the Levite says, well, see, they had to go back to farming, they had to go back to secular work to support themselves, they had to do all that, and that was okay, they were glad to do it, but they went there, and Tobiah was living in that storehouse, they put a Tobiah there, and let me tell you what, if you're not tithing, you've got a Tobiah in your storehouse, you got a Tobiah there, you, you got a guy there that is a freeloader, taking up, taking up space that belongs to God. Right. He says in verse 6, but in all this time was I not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days obtained I leave of the king. And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Elisha did for Tobiah and preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God, and it grieved me sore. If it grieved him sore, can you imagine how God felt about him? Therefore, I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I commanded. And they cleansed the chambers, and thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled every one to his field. Then contended I with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? You're not taking care of God's house. And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then brought all Judah the tithe of the corn and the new wine and the oil into the treasuries. And I made treasures over the treasuries Shelemiah the priest and Zadok the scribe and of the Levites, Padiah. Next to them was Hanan the son of Zachur and the son of Mataniah. for they were counted faithful, and their office was to distribute unto their brethren. That's the setting for Malachi 3:8. Will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? Will a man rob God of his tithe? Will a man rob God of his offerings? Will a man rob God of his life? Would you steal from God? If I go to 7-Eleven and, and, I, and, I, and I take money from there, I'm a thief. If I go to Wells Fargo down the street or Bank of America down the street and I hold them up and take money from them, I'm a thief. I'm a robber. If I break in the back of your car and take your personal belongings, belongings, I'm a thief. I'm a robber. Hey, stealing from others is a crime. Grand theft is a crime. Robbery is a crime. Hey, beloved brother and sister in Christ, when we're not tithing, we're offering. The Bible makes very clear, will a man rob God? Wow, there was withholding. We see the inspiration. We see the indictment. Would you notice the instruction tonight? Go back to Malachi 3. The tithe belongs to God. We really haven't started to give until we give beyond the tithe. And God describes a curse that was on the entire nation. For you've robbed me. We say this all the time, but if all of God's people gave gave their tithe as they should, and the tithe is off the gross, not off the net. Think of what God could do with the work of God think how much more quickly we could pay down our debt. They said, "Behold, oh, what a weariness it is. Why are we doing this anyway? The small church mentality says, well, you know what? I was more content being a small church because we didn't do anything. Yeah, you didn't do anything, but you were in a church that was dying. That's why you came over here because you want to be part of something that's alive. Amen? But after a while, after you start giving a little bit more, you realize that we do more than one offering and you realize that we do it weekly and we realize we have faith-promised missions and we have giving-by-faith offerings. All of a sudden, people start taking this ownership idea, this belongs to me. It doesn't belong to you. God says, if I be master, where is my fear? And so notice in chapter 3, he gives us some instruction. Notice verse 10. Notice the priority in the instruction. Are you there? Look at that. Bring ye... That's a relevant message. Bring ye all the tithes. They had three tithes to give. They also had to make up for back tithes they had not given to God. Listen, the government, when you owe taxes, the government makes sure you pay back your taxes. They call it amnesty day if if they're lenient to you. You owe a credit card company money. You can try to skirt it all you want to and go bankrupt. By the way, you shouldn't do that. But even there, they'll want you to have some kind of repayment plan. What makes us think that God is any different? He said, if I be a father, where is my honor? If I be a master, where is my father? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Bringing all the ties into the storehouse. Now, let me give you some thoughts here. First of all, if you've never begun tithing, may I encourage you tonight, start this evening. Look at your budget. And and I understand living here in Northern California is extremely, extremely expensive. Understand that. I understand after all the other deductions, you're trying to figure out, man, if it's off the gross, not the tithe, what am I supposed to do? But you need to start as a tither. That's being, that's being an obedient Christian and a loving Christian and a Christian that God will bless. He says, you've never done this. You need to start tithing. Secondly, if you used to tithe, but something happened, somehow along the way, maybe you got involved in a ministry or whatever happened, you stopped tithing. Hey, get back to tithing. Get back to tithing. Get back to the joy of the Lord Come back to your life. Notice, he says, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. Now, the tithe, if you're a member of a local New Testament church, your tithe belongs to a local New Testament church. You're not a member of two churches. You can only be a member of one church. You can only be a member of one church. And if you're a member of this church, you signed a covenant. And by the way, you're under, you're on, you're under the obligation of the word of God. You signed a covenant that you would tithe and be a part of this church. That's, a part, that's part of being a good Christian, being a good member, that you're going to give your tithe to the local New Testament church. He said that there may be meat in my house. Again, tithing is God's financial plan for the local church. So that the operating budget and expansion needs of the church can be met. It's making sure the house of God is never in a financial bind. Hey, there's the priority. Bring ye all the tithes into the store. He made it very simple. Guys, you've been, you've been absent of this. Let's, get, let's have a tithing Sunday. Let's get it all back into church. Secondly, we see the priority. Would you notice the promise in verse 10? He says that you bring all the tithes that there may be meat in my house and he's saying that that way we could take care of the servants of God and our obligations can be met he said that's the priority we've got, to get, we've got to get this fixed up because that's what Nehemiah had to do he had to get in and fix this up because the Levites and the priests and the singers and everybody else had not been taken care of he said I've got to get this taken care of and he said there's no reason why they should be out in the fields working they need to be giving themselves wholly to the work of God and he says we, we, we did wrong and we've got to make this right and then he says here, notice the promise. He says, prove me now herewith. Now here's what God says to you. When you're challenged right now, right now in some of your hearts this morning and tonight, there's this fear, this apprehension. If I do what you're telling me to do, I'm not sure I can pay my rent. If I do what you tell me to do, I'm not sure I can make a car payment. If I do what you tell me to do, and my car's about to break down, and I'm not sure if I can, I've, I'll have money to buy another car. If I do what you tell me to do, I don't know if I can pay my child's education. If I do what you tell me to do, I can't do this, and I can't do this, and I can't do this. Hey, let me tell you tonight, when all those thoughts come to your mind, what you need to do is say, devil, get out. Yep, yep. And notice what he says, prove me now herewith. He says, I, God, hey, listen, nobody's more sympathetic to the financial pinch and the budget constraints we have than God himself. Yep. Because he says when we're obedient and we follow what he does, he tells us in Philippians four nineteen, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's recession-proof. That's economy-proof. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if the economy all goes to Bitcoin or the economy goes all cash. God's still going to provide all your need. Amen? Amen. Amen? Prove me now. You need to realize today, God wants you to let him show you he's Father and he's Master and he's more in control of your situation than you will ever be. Prove me now here with, saith Jehovah Sabaoth, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. He says, You prove me. You prove me. I'll take better care of you than you'll ever know. Prove me. Be obedient. Do your part. Supply all of our needs. I'll open the windows of heaven. By the way, if there's going to be a window that's going to open. I want the windows of heaven open. Amen? Amen. Amen? But I want you to notice we see the priority, we see the promise. Would you notice for the next verse, we see the prevention. Did you know being a, being a biblical tither is preventative? Yes. Yes. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Devour is something that comes along the way and eats it all up. The gnawing of the termites. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time. You know he's basically telling you? Listen, God's gonna take care of you from economic collapse. He didn't promise you a Joel Austin line, okay? Do this and you'll be financially successful. That's not what he's saying there. He's saying for preventative purposes, if we don't get this right. You know, God was telling them, I'm going to curse your ground. He told them in Deuteronomy, I'm going to curse you. If if you don't glorify me and you don't give what you're supposed to give, I'm going to curse your ground. And we wonder why companies close up and move out of the area. We wonder why we have job conflicts with our coworkers. We wonder why our business plan doesn't work and we wonder what's going on here. We wonder why this lingering sickness doesn't go away and we wonder, we wonder all these things. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. The caterpillar and the grasshopper that eats away at things. It's prevention. Tithing helps you to live on a budget. Did you know that? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's good. Tithing helps you to be wise in your finances. Your vine will not cast its fruit before the time in the field. Tithing uh, tithing delivers you from financial consumption and disease. Tithing is preventative. And so tonight we see the inspiration. And we see the indictment. We've seen the instructions. We close tonight. Would you notice the invitation? I want you to notice two verses and we're almost done. First of all the invitation he gives us actually it's a command he says in verse 10 bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. He says that you know we we, we've been very neglectful of God's work we need to get up to speed on this. Then go with me to 1 Corinthians 16 if you'll go back there because I want to read this again for the benefit of those who couldn't be in the service this morning. 1 Corinthians 16 would you go there please? And I want to just give you some thoughts and we're almost done. While you're turning there, I'm reminded of a story I read about Richard wormbrand Richard wormbrand was very famous back in the late 70s, early 80s. He wrote a book entitled Tortured for Christ. He was in a Soviet, Soviet prison for his faith. He describes the horrors of being tortured. They beat the fire out of him. He still bears the scars of all that. And he and those other believers that were there, they were, they were incarcerated for their faith in Jesus Christ. They made a decision several weeks into their incarceration, realizing they weren't going to get out of that prison anytime soon. And they realized they had some pretty hardneck prison keepers. And with a bit, a little bit they got, they got an old piece of bread. And they described it this way, a bowl of dirty soup, whatever that is. And they made a decision. They said, you know what? This is what we're getting. This is from God. And amazing, Richard Rurmband writes about the fact they tithe of their bread and of their soup while they are in prison. They said, where did it go? They wanted to obey God. You know what they did? They looked in the prison for those who were, gotten, who were receiving less, who were diseased, who were bodily infirmed, who were sick. And you know what they did? They were doing the Old Testament principle of taking care of the poor. Of their bread. They tithe every day, every week of their bread, of their dirty soup to give it to those other brethren who are less privileged to help them out there. No wonder God got them out there and he was able to tell His story and people came to Christ. I mean, is your faith like that? I read that. I thought, Lord, help my soul. 1 Corinthians 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, Baptist churches take collections. And we shouldn't be ashamed of taking our collections. Now concerning the collection for the saints as I've given order. By the way, Paul gave order to the church of Galatia. He says, I'm giving that same order to the church of Corinth. And by the way, as a dysfunctional church, and it was a dysfunctional church, they needed some order. Amen. And he said this. Now concerning the collection for the saints, I've given order to the church of Galatia. Notice the next four words. Would you underline that? Even so do ye. And that's, that's the invitation tonight. Even so do ye. This, this message is not an ethereal message out there for somebody else in a universal church setting. Because we don't believe in universal church. This is for us. Amen. This is for us. Yes, Even so do ye, he said. And in verse 2, notice what he says here. I, upon the first day of the week, that's today, let every one of you. That's the whole church membership. You say, I'm not a member. If you're attending here and God's blessed you through his word. And you know you need to be a member. That includes you too. Amen. Every one of you, every one of you, that includes children. Parents, teach your kids to give now. Give them an allowance, give them some money, teach them to tithe. Every one of you, let him lay by him in store. Set aside. As God is prospering. Listen, our giving is systematic, but our giving is symmetrical as well. God, There's no two people that give the same amount. You, you give in proportion to the blessing of God in your life. You give in proportion to where you're at economically, and you give within your means. God never asks you to match the giving of a larger giver. God wants you to give within your means, and then he says in your heart, you need to be like the Macedonian believers that you give beyond all that, beyond your power there. He says that there be no gatherings when I come. You know what he's saying there? He says the Baptist churches are notorious. They have to have additional offerings to make it up. I've known the churches. Brother Eugene, you know what I'm talking about there. There are churches where the offerings are not where it needs to be. And on Wednesday nights, they take them another offering to, to get, make up for their budget shortfalls on that. He says, Paul said this. Listen, if you get your tithing right, you give your giving right, we could take this one offering a week, or whenever we meet on Sundays, on the first day we set aside. And that keeps us from having additional collections, because that's what the word gathering means. It keeps us from having additional collections to make up our budget needs then he said in verse 3 and i love this and when i come whomsoever you shall prove by your letters then will i send to bring your liberality unto jerusalem now here are the things i want you to see he says in verse 1 even so do ye and in verse 3 your liberality and i said this earlier if you haven't made didn't make note of it the word liberality i mean, it's the same word charis or the word grace he's talking about grace giving Paul was saying, he said this to many people. He says, I know you're going to give, and I know you're going to exceed my expectations. I know you're going to give liberally. The liberal soul shall be made fat. So tonight the invitation is bring your, uh, bring your tithe. Bring your liberality. Start tithing. Resume tithing. Increase tithing. Participate in faith promised mission. Participate in giving by faith. Listen, whatever happened in the past, that's fine. Today, he says, upon the first day of the week, let's just, even so do ye. R.G. Letourneau he was very famous during the Depression era for being an inventor and manufacturer of earth-moving equipment. R.G. Letourneau, during the Depression, in his first year of business, amazing, when everybody else was losing money, amazingly, he made a $35,000 profit, which in that time was a lot of money. And R.G. Letourneau made all these promises to God. He said, God, I'm going to take care of this and take care of that. And he said, I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to start giving and I'm going to do all these things. But R.G. Letourneau got like a lot of people doing like the people do here. He got distracted by building his business, doing all these other things. And he was more concerned. Well, if I start tithing, that 3500 bucks I tithe? if I could reinvest that, he started thinking as a businessman, if I can reinvest this, I can get a 30% rate of return on my money better. I can do more and I'll build more and I can get back to God. And R.G. Letourneau didn't keep his promise. He was going to tithe to God. And in that second year, he went the opposite direction, and he had a $100,000 loss. It's a totally different direction. R.G. Letourneau is looking at this pile of bills that he had to pay, and he didn't have the money to pay it. He was looking that he was in depression, uh, an economic time of depression. He was looking at the fact that now he's way behind the eight ball. He doesn't know how he's going to get the money to do these things. And then God met with him one night and said, "R.G., He says, R.G., do you remember you made me a promise? R.G., you remember you said you're going to be obedient? R.G., do you remember the Bible says you're to be a tither? Do you remember that?" Archie Letourneau couldn't sleep that night. He was bothered all night by the fact that he had disobeyed God and not been giving. Well, he's already $100,000 in the red. He's got a m- bunch of money he needs to put back into the business. He's got these demands he's got to meet because these people want to buy his earth moving equipment. Because he was, the, he was renowned for what he produced. You look him up yourself. Well, R.G. dug in deep. He said, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to tithe. And R.G. Letourneau started tithing. And, you know, you read the rest of the story. R.G. Letourneau went on to be a, a businessman that God blessed to use where he was giving 50 to 70% or more of his income back to God. Stanley Tam got involved with this silver business back in the 40s and 50s. Stanley Tam lived lived in the state of Ohio. He was born in San Francisco, but he and his wife Juanita moved over to Ohio and lived over there. He heard that Eastman Kodak needed, back in the days when they used to do, you know, the dark rooms for the processing of photographs and things like that, we used to think in my day that that was a cool thing, and now we got digital photography, praise God, amen, you know. But they process thousands of tons of silver to come up with all this process there. And he figured out a way to help invent a machine to help that processing. And he did start making, making money, doing well. But after a couple of years, the whole thing fizzled out. And he started wondering what to do. And in the midst of all that, he started realizing they needed some plastic packaging for what they were doing. So he just started the side business to help support what they were doing. And this packaging business, plastic business, started to take off. And, I, and listen, Stanley Tam became the founder, CEO, and owner of what what which, in our our country at that time, was known as U.S. Plastic Corporation. Stanley Tam was challenged by his preacher to, to give to the work of God and to bring God in as a major shareholder of his business, if you could imagine that. Stanley Tam was scared because his business was coming off, just taking off. He didn't know what to do. But one night he got alone with God. And he said, God, I'm not sure what you're going to do but I'm going to obey what my preacher told me to do and I'm going to start giving and I'm going to start doing what I need to do. And he started off at 10%. He went to 20%. Went to 30%. Went to 40%. He made God the majority shareholder. He established a foundation and went with that. Changed his articles in corporation. We made God the major shareholder of his corporation. And then as he started to prosper, God was blessing him. He built this massive facility, you can look it up, we're on that facility on I-75 there in Ohio it had these words, Christ is the answer You'd drive by there and you'd stop and wonder, what is this all about? And this man had gotten to the place where he was giving He was giving several million dollars a year to, to local, to missions to help support, getting the gospel out. He produced booklets to get the gospel to people. And then the day came where God challenged his Stanley. I want you to turn the whole business over to me and just take a salary for yourself. Instead of God working for him, he was working for God. Prove me now herewith if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. i tell you about some friends I have right now. I'm not going to mention their names because I might bring them here to church to share their testimony one day. They don't know about Stanley Tam. They don't know about Archie LaTrop sat down with them. But they've learned the blessing of tithing and giving and offerings. You haven't begun to give until you're giving over your tithe. And you're not obedient unless you're tithing. Will a man rob God? Wherein, ye say, have we robbed thee? He said in tithes and offerings. Start tithing. If if you've stopped, get back into it. Get involved with Faith Promise Missions. I wish I had time tonight. I went through this a little bit the other night to tell you about the missionaries we're supporting and what God's doing there. I'm thankful for these ministries we support and what God's doing. New ministries, new work starting. I mean, just so many things like that. Help me on May 21st. We're gonna have another Giving by Faith banquet and we're gonna just kind of work the ropes on this with everybody, but listen, we need to raise money to get this debt paid down. I don't want this encumbrance on the church. We need to, we, 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 that's our building, but we need to pay it off. And what a good testimony it is when people on the outside see that we love our church, love our God, take care of the property, and pay things down, expand and grow, expand and grow, and do more things for God. Well, man, Rob God, I encourage you tonight, even so do ye your liberality. Father, tonight we thank you for the scriptures and the good instruction the word of God gives us about giving and tithing is scriptural. We're so much like you when we give. Lord, I pray this evening that as the spirit of God has spoken and you've been with us, we're challenged in our hearts. We're inspired in our lives. To be biblical in our giving. To follow the practices that the New Testament gives us. And to claim the prevention and the promises to come with tithing and and offerings. He said, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. Help us tonight. To do right to participate, to give, and do what we're supposed to do. Father, tonight, you're Lord over everything in the church, and that includes our giving and our tithing. And I think we do right for just a moment, Lord, just to even realize, as he said, bring you all the tithes and stories. He wasn't telling them to wait till next Sunday. He was telling them, you need to do it now. Have your way, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. I ask you to stand tonight. God's spoken to you just about your spirit, your attitude, your giving. You take time. Just because you walked out doesn't mean you're not a tithing Christian. Maybe God's challenged you to take, out, take, take that step on. I want to encourage every student, every student. You ought to be like some of our, our working people, who, some who have come to me and said, Pastor, I'm, when God gives me my first job, I'm going to give my first paycheck to God. Now, that's, that's noble. But if you're finding the pinch and the tightness keeping from giving like you need to give, you need to change. Lead your children. Lead your family. Get them bored. It's all His anyway. Let's take some time tonight. I even feel like tonight, just like maybe we even need to take a, another offering just because of God's spoken. He says, bring you all the tithes. Even so do ye. We need to get that right with God tonight. But i tell you what I'm going to do you know you need to make, to make that right, you need to make up some things, I encourage you to take it, the offering envelope that's in front of you in one of the chairs. Write your check, put your cash, whatever it may be. Let's get that into the church. Let the Lord have his way. And then tonight, I remind you, if you're here tonight, you're not saved. You're not sure if you're going to heaven. 98% of the message was for the members of this church. But the 2% remainder, God loves you and wants you to go to heaven. Jesus gave his all. Jesus gave his life so that you can be saved. Would you trust him tonight to be your savior? Would you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved? Would you do that tonight? Father, we pray this evening for an obedient spirit and a good attitude, a spirit of giving, the joy of giving, rejoicing all the Lord has done. Father, thank you for all that the Bible teaches us about giving. We want to obey you and be fruitful in this matter. Please have your way tonight. Please be glorified through our lives. Fathers, you've worked tonight. I pray that it's just triggered a lot of of things that we'll do. And we'll see, Lord, just a turnaround in all that we're doing. I pray for our attendance to come up. I pray that, Lord, our giving would come up. I pray that, Lord, our building debt would be paid off. I pray that we'd be able to support more missionaries and see more faith promise pledges. I pray that we'd help (coughs) with the gospel in many more countries. I pray for a lot of those things that, God, you'll do. Please have your way with us. Please prepare our hearts for the future events. We've got the Easter outreach we've got to pay for. We've got, Lord, the Easter outreach. We've got the revival meetings with Brother Smith at the end of this month, and we need to be ready for that. Please help us to do our best. And by the way, Lord, thank you tonight. I know I'm talking to the choir, but, Lord, thank you for the giving spirit that's found in this church as a whole and many who obey the Lord and trust you. Tonight, as we consider the the word of God, we realize we just need to conform to it. And you help us tonight do our right thing. Help husbands and wives to have good conversations. And parents and children have good conversations about why it's an honorable thing to honor you. Lord, you're our father, and we're your sons, and we want to please you now. Dismiss us with your blessing, we pray in Jesus' name.